0: Evidence and answers. There is a saying, he who controls language controls the conversation, controls thought, controls the argument, controls the debate, controls the masses. Today there is a revolution going on in language that seeks to change the way we think about morality. Words such as homosexuality and sexual preference are being removed from the dictionary because it is offensive. What exactly is going on? You're tuned to Evidence & Answers Radio Broadcast with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Today we will be listening as Pat interviews Pastor Randy Manley as he explains the change in language, the goal, or the language revolution.
1: You're listening to Evidence and Answers, where we provide compelling evidence for faith and hope in Christ and biblical answers to the challenges of today. Well, there's a saying, he who controls language controls the conversation, controls thought, controls the argument, controls the debate, and controls the masses. Well, today, there seems to be a revolution going on in language that seeks to change the way we think about sexuality. Well, what exactly is going on? Well, to help us understand what's happening is Pastor Randy Manley. Randy Manley is the pastor of Molokai Baptist Church on the island of Molokai, where he has served for over two decades now. He holds an undergraduate degree from Liberty University, as well as master's degrees from Tampa Theological Seminary and Southern Evangelical Seminary, and is working on his doctorate there at Southern Evangelical Seminary. He's married to his college sweetheart, Louise, for Over three decades, and they have five children. And Randy, I understand they were all on the wrestling team.
2: That's right. Yeah, all of them wrestled here at Molokai High School.
1: Yeah, and although it's a small high school, I understand your kids all made it to the states, the state finals.
2: Yeah, they were able to all place at different levels uh, at the state tournament.
1: (laughs) That's fantastic. And you're the coach of wrestling over there, too.
2: I am. Yes, I am.
1: Man, fantastic. Well, before we get into what we're talking about here, tell us a little bit about the ministry on the island there of Molokai there. It's a very unique uh, ministry, unique island there in the state of Hawaii.
2: Yeah, we sit here between Oahu, uh, which of course is the major population center, and Maui. And we're literally right between those two islands. And in some ways, uh, world's different small and rural. Uh, We've got less than 8,000 in our population, and uh, we have no traffic lights or malls or any kind of franchise, anything. Uh, We don't have a McDonald's or a Walmart. It's a very unique rural place, very Hawaiian.
1: Yes, you're actually from the East Coast, aren't you?
2: I am originally from Miami, about as far away from Hawaii (laughs) as you can get.
1: Yeah, and so that's really a, a mission field for you, isn't it?
2: Yeah, it has been, Um, and the Lord's been very faithful as uh, we have been able over the years to adjust to the culture and love the people and just see some really cool things take place.
1: Yeah, you know, ministry there is different from, let's say, a city like Honolulu that we're at or uh, even, you know, a city like Portland or Seattle. What would you say are kind of the major differences in pastoring out there in Molokai in a small island compared to a typical city?
2: Well, there are, you know, there are differences, smaller community, people recognize you and know you quicker because again, because of the the small community, we've been here so long, you know, I can go into a restaurant and most people know my name. So that would be one of the biggest differences, but there really is quite a lot of similarities. I mean, I I grew up in a big city, the city of Miami, and, you know, you would think that people would be drastically different coming to a, a rural place like Molokai, but people are people. They still have the same struggles with sin, they're still still the same struggles with with family and uh, situations, and they still need the same gospel.
1: Yeah, fantastic. Great that you've been out there for so many years. Well, you shared with me an article by Michael Brown, a great uh, speaker and defender of the Christian faith that was entitled, Those Who Control the Language, Control the Culture. Can you summarize the point of that article?
2: Yeah, it was it was a very uh interesting article just actually came out a couple of weeks ago and when I sent it to you I thought wow this this is very interesting. But basically what Dr. Brown does is he talks about the idea of how important language is in our culture and he zeroes in on um a very well used internet site dictionary.com and they have just recently made some huge updates. In fact, they advertise it as their biggest update ever. And he uses them to demonstrate how the manipulation of language affects our thinking and our culture. They made over 15,000 entry updates and additions. So he, in the article, he highlights a few of these updates. You know, for instance, the words homosexual and homosexuality were removed from references within the dictionary. They now are capitalizing the letter B in the word black when it refers to the black race. They're capitalizing P in the word pride when it refers to gay pride. So, those are just some of the examples. And the article ends up kind of comparing what's happening with George Orwell's classic uh, 1984, which was it was a fictional story about what the world would look like in the future. It was actually written in. 1948, I believe. But one of the ways that the ruling party controls the population is by changing and manipulating the language. And so Dr. Brown uses that that fictional book to kind of demonstrate it was maybe almost prophetic on what's happening today as our language is being manipulated.
1: Yeah, you know, a lot of people that study the culture often refer to that novel 1984, or they often... All- often say, boy, isn't that a lot, like 1984, a lot of people who read it today kind of say, gee, how'd this guy know that? You know, I mean, it seems almost prophetic, that book there.
2: Yeah.
1: You know, Randy, you know, language changes all the time and we add new words, especially in today's world where things are advancing and new ideas are springing up at an amazing rate. So is Dr. Brown saying that adding new words and definitions is a bad thing?
2: No. Just like you said, Pat, uh, our our world is is changing uh, rapidly. And with that, you know, with new technologies, of course, there's new terms that are coming in, changes in language. So the the problem isn't when word definitions maybe change because of changes here and there in the culture or new words need to be added. That's not the problem. The problem is when word definitions are manipulated and even... um, and even subtle commentary is injected in those definitions. that 's when it becomes dangerous. Let me give you an example. For instance, you know I, I went to dictionary.com to check out some of the changes that, they, that were referred to in the article, and, and there 's a whole lot more than Dr. Brown has. Uh, made reference to, of course, because there's over 15,000, but here's one of the things that they've done, is they no longer use the term in the dictionary, commit suicide. And here's what they say. There's a quote right from there. The moralistic verb commit is associated with crime in the justice system and sin in religion, deepening the emotional pain surrounding this sensitive but important subject. So in other words, what they're doing is they saying, hey, we can't use this term commit when we refer to suicide anymore because it's, it's a moralistic term and we, and we don't want to make any kind of moral judgments at all. And so we need to eliminate using that in any of our definitions because it may even smack with kind of religious overtones and we certainly don't want to do that.
1: Yes. What seems to be driving this it, it it seems to be you know a desire to depart from god's universal moral law and try to make everything sound more neutral or you know that there's really nothing wrong with this particular choice or lifestyle or ideology so we don't want any negative connotations with it is that what you think is kind of driving this
2: i think so you know it definitely is it moves us toward being in this non-judgmental, non-moral kind of of situation, when you go so far to say, hey, you know, we're not going to use the word alcoholic anymore to refer to a person addicted to alcohol because, you know, that's stigmatizing. What happens with that is we begin to try to whitewash all of the sins of society. And I, I think we're talking about morality and, and kind of a universal moral code, but it really it boils down to truth, ultimately. And our society does not want to embrace as a whole an absolute truth. And I think that's a big part of it, too.
1: And how does controlling language ultimately lead them to controlling the culture?
2: Well, if you stop and think about it, we think in words. You can't think without thinking in words, words have meaning. So as we're thinking in words, those words are related to meaning. And when meanings change, it changes our thinking. And so as we think, we're going to act. And if the powers that be can change meanings of words, they're ultimately going to be able to change the way that we think, which will change our actions. It's a very powerful way to manipulate not just a few people but a whole society.
1: Yes, you know, as I'm reading the article, I see that not only were definitions changed, but words were actually removed from the dictionary he writes about. And a lot of those had to do with sexuality. And one of the words he said was removed was homosexuality. Yeah. Yeah, Now tell us why that was removed or the reasoning behind that.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, it, it's really amazing when you start removing words. And, and again, this is where I mentioned a minute ago about injecting commentary into a definition. Instead of just giving you a know, flat-out definition, let me read for you right from Dictionary.com's uh, statement on their change to homosexuals. This, this is what they say. The previously used terms, homosexual and homosexuality, originated as clinical language, and dictionaries have historically perceived such, such language as scientific and unbiased, but homosexual and homosexuality are now associated with pathology, mental illness, and criminality, and so imply that being gay, a normal way of being, is sick, diseased, or wrong. So what they're saying, Pat, is that, well, we can't use this term anymore because it has negative connotations. If you notice that last line in there, it implies that they said that that being gay is not normal. And of course, it is a normal way of being. So. They're dropping it. They're telling us in their statement, they have a specific agenda for why they're dropping those words, and that is so that people will begin to perceive and see that homosexuality is normal.
1: Yeah, you know, and we think that those who control the legislature control the culture, but we're seeing, wow, that those uh, who control the language in in ways we don't even notice until people like you bring it up. It's very powerful, the control that they can have on the language and, and exactly how we think, especially on these kinds of issues like ethics and certain ideologies.
2: Absolutely. And it begins to, you know, it gets to the point where when you begin to do that, you don't make sense anymore. You, you start having to to say things that are unclear and confusing. For instance, dictionary.com says that they now define gayness as gay or lesbian sexual orientation or behavior. You know, I don't know about you, Pat, but when I was a kid and we had to, to um, put definitions for words, one of the basic things they told us is, you don't define a word by using the word. So here they're trying to define gayness as gay or lesbian sexual orientation. Well, that tells us absolutely nothing about what gayness is, because it just uses the word over again in the definition. So again, when we step into this type of thing, we're stepping into confusion, and that's certainly where we find ourselves in this society right now.
1: Yeah, you know, and the Bible uses the term homosexuality you know, right. several times throughout the Bible. And if it's now uh, no longer a valid term or an offensive term or a politically incorrect term, it's exactly what are we supposed to say in the Bible? I mean, we're going to have to change our translation and maybe the desire is to make it less offensive or something.
2: You're absolutely right. And I mean, if you stop and think about it, just using this one idea, hey, gosh, we can't use homosexual anymore when we're referring to it from a biblical standpoint, so we need to change that. Well, what's next? What words next are we going to change in Scripture because it offends somebody? And it really does bring up a very valid concerning point.
1: Yeah, and I notice one of the difficult things about speaking to collegians for me now is that they are so sensitive when it comes to terms or language. And I remember speaking at um, one particular college, and this is a Christian retreat, and I was speaking to a bunch of college students. They weren't that much biblically uh, grounded, though, I'll tell you that much. But I just said one word that was wrong, and I think it was homosexual. You know, I didn't say gay. Uh, I said homosexual. And boy, they were so offended. And for the rest of the week, they weren't listening to me. And usually at retreats, you know, you sit and talk with your audience. and you talk. <laughs> It was like I had the plague, you know, wow. they didn't want to come near me. Uh, yeah. And they weren't listening to a thing I said after that because uh, I was a racist. I was a homophobe. I was this. I was that. And because I didn't use that, I used that one incorrect term, homosexual. I was supposed to use the term gay. And so uh, are you seeing that as well? This uh, almost hypersensitivity. We got to make sure we got the right words that we use. Yeah,
2: absolutely. The crazy thing about that, Pat, is this hypersensitivity, much of it comes from ignorance. I would venture to say that that's what was going on with the group that you were speaking to if you were to pull some of those uh, college students to the side and say, you know, how would you define homosexual? What what is your definition? My guess is you'd you'd probably get a pretty wild display of of definitions. And and that's what we mean by words mean things. and, And meaning is important to thought, and thought produces action. And so a lot of this sensitivity is being driven by ignorance, which is being fostered by some of these places like you know, dictionary.com and the PC correct people out there that are pushing these kind of things. And a lot of this is happening in our schools with our younger kids, and they're being reprogrammed.
1: Yes. So it's a very powerful thing that's going on. And Randy, you know, is there anything in the Bible that would guide us in dealing with this issue?
2: Well, remembering that Satan is the original master manipulator of words, right? I mean, this is nothing new. It takes on maybe some new forms, but back in the garden, you know, we go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 and here's Satan manipulating and working words to deceive Eve into eating the forbidden fruit. So being reminded, sometimes I think we come up against some of this stuff and we think that we're the only ones that have ever had to deal with these kind of things. And again, while the approach may be novel, the sin itself isn't, and and what's happening isn't new. Satan's been a deceiver from the beginning, Jesus said. And I think also, you know, going to Jesus's words, where he said the truth will set us free right and so he is the truth and to be anchored in him and to be anchored in his word so that ultimately we can be uh, people that can work our way through the deception the Apostle Paul said to the Philippian believers he was encouraging them and and also um, telling them hey I'm praying for you and and one of the things he was praying in Philippians 1 9 he says it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. He said, I hope you guys are loving people, but, but love that's based on knowledge, and at the same time that you're discerning. And so, you know, as believers, we should be the most loving, most knowledgeable, discerning people in society. And I think that challenge there in Philippians is a great one for us to remember as well.
1: Yeah, you know, as I was wrestling over this issue and wondering what biblical guidelines or what exhortations we could give to people in dealing with this issue, I was also kind of thinking on that line too, that old saying, actions speak louder than words, or James talks about, you know, I'll show you my faith by the things that I do. And if we not only live in truth and communicate truth but also live it out powerfully so yes. that you know the bible uses terms like homosexual and if people see well those christians are racist they call gay people homosexual but the christians are the ones they're reaching out to the yes. gay community visiting the gay right. community oh those christians uh they're so racist but they see the church welcoming blacks and asians yes. and people from all different races that speaks powerfully to you know breaking those negative labels that people may place on you because you're not using the politically correct kind of language
2: amen yeah absolutely totally agree with that
1: yeah well as followers of jesus then how should we respond to these manipulations of language
2: well i think dr brown really summarized it well at the end of his article and and i'm just going to borrow from him because i i'm not really sure i can come up with anything better but He points out in there, as he closes out, that as as followers of Christ, we need to refuse to be manipulated. There's a certain sense, Pat, that we've got to be lovingly stubborn, you know, hey, I'm not going to fall for this, I'm not going to allow myself to be manipulated. And again, that, that involves what we talked about from Philippians, being a person of knowledge and discernment. And then Dr. Brown says, we need to speak wisely, you know, sometimes we speak too quick. We don't stop and think about what we're going to say before we speak and that can get us into a lot of trouble and so we need to be people that are speaking uh with wisdom and speaking wisely and then he says speak graciously man this is so important you know so many times as christians people who claim to be Christians, they may be saying something that's true, but the the way they package it, the way they say it can be so harsh and so unloving. And so we've got to be people that are speaking graciously, lovingly. And then the last thing he says is speak truthfully without compromise. That's exactly what we were talking about a minute ago when it says, hey, man, if the the Bible uses this terminology, we've got to be willing to say, you know, this is not about what is offensive or non-offensive. This is about truth and about biblical purity. And so we want to be people that are speaking the truth without compromise. And it's going to get harder and harder to do that as these types of things become more and more prevalent in our society.
1: You know, Ephesians uh, chapter 4, verse 15 talks about speaking the truth in love. That's right. So, yeah, truth has to be packaged in love to communicate the most powerfully. But you also make a good point. You said it's going to be a lot harder to do, you know, in the days to come, uh, especially as people are trying to make sin the norm here. And as you talked about, manipulating language is one of the ways to do that. Uh, How do you... You know, as a pastor, a guy who has to communicate uh, not only every Sunday, but every day God's truth. How do you navigate through all of this? It's hard to keep up with all that's going on and changing in language.
2: Yeah, it really is. And it can be a little overwhelming. And, uh, you know, I, for myself and just to be... To stay sharp in knowing some of these things uh, for ministry's sake, and to help guide the folks that God has given me to shepherd, I try to find some some good sources that I can go to. For instance, the, the article that we're talking about by Dr. Brown came from the Christian Post, great source of just news from a Christian perspective, and also some great commentary on some of these types of issues that you can read from you know top thinkers in the Christian world that really help and encourage in knowing these types of things and and knowing how to deal with them and and how to look at them from a biblical standpoint i would say that's a big thing for me and and again staying in the word You know, I I think we take that for granted so much of the time that, oh, yeah, 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 I need to be reading the Bible. But what we don't realize is that is our anchor. That is the truth that grounds us. And the better we know it, the better we're going to be at uh, dealing with the issues at hand.
1: Fantastic. You've been listening to our interview with Randy Manley pastor of Molokai Baptist Church, uh, working on his doctorate there at Southern Evangelical Seminary. How's that going, by the way?
2: Getting there. I <laughs> wish it was done, but uh, it, it's getting closer.
1: Yeah, you got a great project that you're working on for your graduate project there. Tell us a little bit about that.
2: Well, it actually it arose from a sermon series I did about a year and a half ago, Pat. I really wanted to have some answers to some of these difficult social issues, again, from a biblical standpoint. We've talked about homosexuality and gender a little bit today, and, and of course that's a, a hot topic. And and the issue of life, you know, abortion and euthanasia and those types of things, and the roles of men and women and uh, race relations. And so I was like, man, you know, where's this all grounded? I mean, I know we can go to the Word in different places. And what I discovered in my study, and it eventually came out into this sermon series was, in Genesis 1, where it talks about we're made in the image of God and what that tells us about these issues. And so my my project coming out of that sermon series is all about the image of God and how that helps us as believers to be able to answer some of these difficult societal issues that we're facing.
1: Yeah, fantastic. That sounds like a fantastic work. So when you're done, we look forward to, uh, it's printing and I hope to get a, uh, Copy of your uh, great work there. Well, thanks for joining us here on Evidence and Answers. We want to thank Dr. Randy Manley from Molokai Baptist. He's been serving there for over two decades. So if you get out to that beautiful island there of Molokai, that's one church you're going to want to visit there at Molokai Baptist. So, Randy, thanks for being with us here at Evidence and Answers.
2: Thanks, Pat.
0: run out of time. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence & Answers radio broadcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show. If you would like Pat to speak at your church, Bible study, or perhaps hold an apologetics conference, give him a call locally. That number in Hawaii is 483-0586, or you may contact him through the Evidence & Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. To keep broadcasts like Pat's on the air, we rely on generous support from you, our listeners, for the opportunity to donate head on over to our website. Once again, that's evidenceandanswers.org. You'll find we have a wide variety of resources available to you, including articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. So be sure to share our website with those around you. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat (laughs) Zuckrat.